This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo of MLBPipeline.com are here. I'm Tim McMaster, and we are ready to get into a lot of different random topics in this edition of the podcast. One thing we'll get to in a little bit is we're going to look at some of the first-round picks and and early second-round picks from the 2016 draft. So guys that were just picked a couple of months ago and, and check in on some of the guys that are off to great starts in their first little dose of professional baseball. But before we get to that, we have some intriguing call-ups. We got some guys red hot in the minors uh, and then a little bit of international prospect news. Let's start there, guys. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel, uh, younger brother of Yulieski Gurriel, who signed with the Astros uh, about a month ago, I guess now. Uh, Yulieski is 32 years old. The Astros, we've talked about it, expect him to probably um, contribute much sooner rather than later. Uh, Lourdes is a different story, but now he's been declared a free agent by Major League Baseball. But some different stuff goes into this based on when he signs, based on when he turns 23. So that's kind of where I wanted to start with. Jonathan, from what I understand, if he signs soon, before he turns 23, he goes into the international pools and it really it limits the, the number of teams that could go after him. If he waits until his birthday, he's pretty much just a free agent. Is that right? Yeah, you, you have it right. Uh, he, his birthday is October 19th. Uh, that's when he turns 23. And so if he signs after that, then he's more like Araldus Chapman, uh, you know, in terms of just being a free agent and all hands on deck. Uh, you know, anybody can sign him. There aren't, you know, teams that are restricted this year uh, aren't restricted. Uh, you know, so all that goes out the window. If he were to sign before, you know, there's only so many teams. You know, teams don't. We've talked about this on on the podcast uh, a bunch of times. There are teams that don't care about blowing past their their pool limit and, and getting penalties and not spending. Uh, but there aren't that many teams who uh, haven't already done so and even have the financial resources. You know, you know. I don't know if Jim would would disagree with this, but I can't imagine there being a scenario that he signs before October 19th. No, there can't, I, I'd be shocked because you just laid it all out there. I mean, I think right. there's ten teams that would be out of the mix for him because they can't sign a guy over, I think it's, what, $300,000 now. But the biggest difference is you just go back to Yohan Mankata. When Yohan Mankata signed with the Red Sox, he got a $31.5 million bonus, which is a nice bonus. I think it's like Tim's bonus at the end of the year from MLB Advanced Media. <laughs> You're now my Red agent, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll work on that. We'll get more some more Twitter followers and a thirty-one and a half million dollar bonus. So we'll we'll tie those together. Yeah, all right, guys. So the the other question is, of course, because he's so young, twenty-two, and he'll be twenty-three from what it sounds like once he signs. Is uh, where does he start his pro career? At what kind of level? How far away from the major leagues is he? Uh, Jim, I'll go back to you for that. Where uh, to start? At least 
what can we expect from him once he signs with the team? Well, he'll be 23 next season. I would, I would say, I think it always makes sense to start guys at a lower level than a higher level. It's a lot easier to, you know, hurt somebody's confidence and build it back up. And you can't underestimate also having to make the adjustment to a new culture. So my guess would be high class A. I, you know, I don't think double A is out of the question, but I, I, I would. If it were me, I'd probably send him to high class A and let him go nuts for a month or two and then promote him. Um, yeah, you know, he's a guy who. He's going to hit for average. He's got, you know, I think offensively the, the, the scouting reports I read on him make him kind of sound like Alex Bregman, that type of hitter, where he can hit for average, get on base, hit 20 home runs. I don't think he's the, the athlete or defender that Bregman is. You know, Bregman legitimately could play the middle infield. He just won't in Houston because of Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve. You know, I think Guriel sounds like he's more of a, a third baseman or a corner outfield Type and he's good. He's one of the best, you know, free agent prospects in the world. He's not Yohan Mankata, although that's obviously a very high standard because right now Yohan Mankata is the best prospect who's playing in the minors. Uh, Jonathan, you would think the Astros maybe have an, an inside edge on him simply because they have his brother within their system. Is there some truth to that, or could he end up anywhere? I think it could probably end up anywhere uh you know based on the amount that it's going to cost to sign him i'm sure uh the astros will check in and having his brother there uh would make that transition a little uh more smooth but you know i think the biggest problem is then if the astros sign him he's not going to play the infield um so maybe they move him to that outfield corner uh, like jim suggested right away uh, you know, there's so much talent in that in the in the Astros system. You know, you don't want to create a, a possible scenario where you know he moves past someone just because they feel the need to move him because they gave him such a large bonus, uh, or he gets stuck behind someone. So I think that could be the one thing that would you know hold the, that kind of signing back. Definitely something we'll be monitoring, and it'll be something to really keep our eyes on once we get to October 19th, and I'm sure a lot of baseball has his birthday kind of circled on their calendar. All right, let's move on to some other stuff, including a couple of big promotions by the St. Louis Cardinals as they call up their top two prospects. That includes Alex Reyes, the number one prospect, number nine prospect in our top 100 on MLBPipeline.com, and also Luke Weaver, the number two prospect. And I think the interesting one interesting thing about this, guys, is even though Reyes is is the higher prospect and, and has that triple-digit heat and, and the overpowering stuff, it's Weaver who's going to move into the rotation, at least temporarily, with Michael Walker on the disabled list. Reyes is going to move into the bullpen. Jim, does that make a lot of sense to you, that that's the way they're doing it, because Reyes is maybe not as polished? Yeah, I think that's exactly why they're doing it. And it's not like, it, this isn't a, a permanent move to where Reyes will never see the light of day of the rotation. But as talented as Alex Reyes is, he, he's walking a guy every other inning, giving up a hit and inning. Uh, in AAA, the control and command aren't real refined right now, which isn't shocking. I mean, he's not even 22 yet, but as we saw in his big league debut, where he retired the, the Reds in order, you know, he can throw 101 miles an hour. He did it a couple times. Uh, and he can help a bullpen that has had some holes spring up over the course of the season and be an asset there, whereas Weaver doesn't have the same high ceiling, but he's got, 
you know, he, he's the exact opposite. I mean, he's super polished. Uh, you know, he's got you know, one of the better changeups in the minor leagues. He, he's got a solid fastball. You know, you, you wish it was a better breaking ball, but it hasn't helped. It hasn't prevented him from being effective. He, if he had enough innings to qualify, he'd be leading the minors in ERA right now. He throws a ton of strikes. He keeps the ball down. He, you know, and I think it just makes sense. I mean, if, if you're looking for a guy who can give you six innings and give you a chance to win the game, I think right now Luke Weaver does a better chance of that. If you're looking for a guy who can, you know, maybe pitch some high leverage innings, you know, in the playoffs, you know, maybe, you know, you hand him a ball in the seventh or eighth inning or you have two men on, you need him to get out of a jam, I think Reyes is that guy. So I, I just think it makes an awful lot of sense. And obviously anybody who's listened to the podcast knows, I mean, I, how many weeks, different times, did Jonathan or I say, oh, we think Reyes will be up soon and he can help out of the bullpen? It, it just seems like a very obvious move to me. Talk about a, a tough first start in the big leagues, Jonathan. Saturday, Luke Weaver will get the start at Wrigley Field against that Cubs lineup in, in a pennant race. I mean, that's being thrown into the fire. No, it, it really is, and I think it shows what the, the Cardinals think about uh, you know his makeup more than anything else, but also you know his, his strike-throwing ability and, and, like Jim said, at the very least, give him a chance to win the game. They're not expecting Luke Weaver to come up and throw eight shutout innings and strike out 14. Uh, you know, that's not, not what the, the goal is when they gave him the ball, uh, starting, you know, to take the spot uh, in the rotation for Michael Walker. Uh, he is not the kind of guy who is going to be uh, freaked out or get too amped up, I don't think, by the surroundings. Yes, it's a lot. Uh, but he is the kind of pitcher who can handle it. And as long as he stays with what works for him, uh, his stuff is the kind of stuff that really should work at any level as long as he continues to, to keep the ball down. I think that will be the interesting thing to watch. If he does get a little too much adrenaline and he's a little bit up in the zone, then it could be a... Oh, did we lose Jonathan? I wondered if you guys had lost me there, but I guess we lost him. Danny, you still there? I'm here. <laughs> this time it was not the computer. We're everything going today. He's probably still answering the question. Yeah, I know. Well, he, he, I know he got cut off at adrenaline pumping and leave the ball up in the zone. Exactly. Was, those were his last words? Where he got cut off. Hello again. Hey, the, your final words were, Jim, Jim, what were they? Hey, well, you're talking about if his adrenaline is pumping, he left the ball up in the strike zone. That's exactly where you got cut off. Okay. Do you so want I'll, to just I'll, pick I'll up, pick from, up there? from there? Yeah. All right, in three, two. If he's got the adrenaline pumping and he's a little bit up in the zone early, uh, it could be a, a very short start for him. But uh, I don't foresee that happening. I think he'll stay within himself and do exactly what the Cardinals are hoping. Now, assuming Michael Walker comes back in a couple of weeks, does Weaver actually head back to the minors, whereas Reyes will be with the big league club the rest of the way? Yeah, the, the plan is for, for Reyes almost certainly to stay in the bullpen the rest of the way. I think they're not 100% sure when is going to be back. Uh, so they're prepared to have Weaver up for a longer period of time if need be. Uh, you know, it was pointed out to me, uh, and I didn't even realize this initially, but neither Reyes nor Weaver needed to be added to the 40-man roster this offseason. So this was, you know, this wasn't a oh, we need to call someone up for a couple of days. You know, initially when the news broke, I thought oh, Reyes will be up for four days. They're going to send them back down, and then Weaver comes in. 
but you know they wouldn't have used up those 40-man roster spots if they weren't prepared to have either or both of, of, of their top two pitchers help them in the long term for the rest of the season in the big leagues. All right, let's move on a little bit to uh, the hottest player in the minor leagues and a guy that, that has been for quite some time now. And we heard this name around the trade deadline because he almost switched uh, organizations. But at the end of the day, he stays with Cleveland. Guys, Francisco Mejia, now a 48-game hit streak. Um, he had Wednesday night off, so he still has that going on. Uh, the Indians' number 4 prospect. He was almost part of that Jonathan Lucroy trade that, that Lucroy vetoed with the Brewers, but he's in Class A advance right now with the Lynchburg Hillcats. Uh, Jonathan, I know you had said maybe as far as Cleveland goes, in the long run they may be better off without Lucroy because they get to keep Mejia, but um, I'll go back to you, Jim, to just talk about is this hit streak true of the kind of player that he can be? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I do think he obviously can hit. He's one of the better catching prospects in the minors. I mean, coming into the year, you're talking about a guy who who hit 240 in the Midwest League last year with with not a, a ton of power. I, I don't. I mean, he's good. He's hitting, I think, 348 right now. The last time I checked, I don't. I don't necessarily see him as that type of player. I mean, obviously he's not going to 340 in the big leagues, but I mean, his best tool, hitting streak included, you know, is still his, his well above average arm. I think he's a guy who's an everyday catcher in the big leagues. I think you could be looking at a guy who could, you know, if you're projecting him out, you know, maybe a, a, a 280, you know, 12, 15 home run guy. But, you know, the hitting streak, it is tremendous accomplishment. It's the longest hitting streak in the modern era of the minor leagues, which goes back to 1963. But I'm not ready to pronounce him one of the better hitting prospects in the overall minors, if that makes sense. And not that it's all about strikeout-to-walk ratio, but he's walked 19 times in 84 games. And you'd wonder, is that something that's going to get exploited as he goes up against more experienced pitchers? So he's definitely talented, but... You know, as much as I like him, would I put him on the top ten catching prospects in minors? Absolutely, and we have him on that list. Would I put him on the top ten hitters in the minors? No, I would not put him on that list. And Jonathan, obviously, still a ways away, just Class A advance with Lynchburg. Uh, I would think he's a 2018 kind of guy, 2019. Probably, unless this turns out to not be uh, an aberration. Uh, and again, I, I agree with Jim. I don't think he's a a 350 hitter, but uh, if this is more what he is, then I could see next year he uh, makes the move up to Double A to start the year potentially, and, and then you know could move quickly. Um, you, you know we'll, we'll see. He's still very young. I mean, he doesn't turn 21 until the end of October, uh, so we'll, we'll we'll have to see what he does as an encore after this year. I and mean, this has been such a bizarre hitting streak. And one of the reasons why I think it has not gotten as much attention, aside from the fact that it's been an A-ball, is that it's been interrupted by the Futures game and by an All-Star game, by a, a minor injury, uh, an illness. Uh, so he's been in and out of the lineup. I mean, he played on August the 9th, and the last time he played before that was the 5th. So it's been it's been kind of a strange hitting streak just because it hasn't been day in and day out. You know, Obviously, as a catcher, they're going to, rest him quite a bit. Uh, so actually, in some ways, he deserves maybe extra credit just because it's been 
start, stop, start, stop, and he's continued to swing the bat well. But I don't know. Maybe a year from now we're talking about him like uh, like Wilson Contreras. I'm not saying that he's at that same level, but Contreras is a guy who didn't hit early on and then really figured things out and then just continued to hit and ended up being a, a much better prospect than we initially anticipated. All right, let's move on to the 2016 draft and some of the players who have started those pro careers and really have gotten off to tremendous starts. Jonathan, you got an article coming on, on MLBPipeline.com about this where top five hitters, top five pitchers. Um, so let's go through this a little bit. And, and hitting-wise, five guys you list. Mickey Moniak off to a great start, obviously the number one overall pick. Nick Senzel went number two to the Reds. He's also hot early on. Blake Rutherford. Uh, a guy that faded a little bit towards the draft, but he's off to a great start with the Yankees. Then Alex Kirilov with the Twins and Matt Thias with the Angels. Now, we did a, another clip for the site, Jonathan, and I didn't let you talk about Alex Kirilov, your, your guy from Pittsburgh there, prepster from Pittsburgh. So I'll let you do that here. What, a, what kind of a start is this kid off to? Because I'm always impressed when the high school draftees get off to great starts in their pro careers. Well, not only is he off to a great start, but he skipped the Gulf Coast League. He's playing in the Appalachian League, which is still a rookie-level league, but it's you know it's up a half step. And all he's doing as of right now, as we're recording this, is leading the Appalachian League now with a 361 average. Uh, he's sixth in slugging and OPS. He's got five homers and 23 runs batted in over his first 37 games. He's basically doing exactly what... Uh, people hoped, you know, when they scouted him, I got a chance to see him several times because he was in my backyard, and, and the left-handed bat was was legitimate. Uh, and he's showing, at least in the early going, that uh, the transition to the pro game is not too difficult. And in fact, Jim, uh, myself, and our uh, third musketeer, Mike Rosenbaum, uh, are about to figure out who's going to be next on the top 100 for replacements. And I'm going to tr- make a strong case that Alex Kirilov belongs on that next group. Uh, Jim, the other guys I mentioned there, anybody stand out to you or who you, you've been super impressed by? I mean, Moniak, obviously, number one overall, and, and the early returns say it was worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, he, he's a guy. I mean, the, the first two picks were guys who had very advanced bats. You know, Mickey Moniak had the, probably the best bat in high school ranks. Nick Sindel probably had the best bat in college ranks. And they both hit well. Uh, Moniak is, is, I think, right around 300. He, he showed some some good gap power. He, he's running. He's basically been the player we expected. And same with Nick Senzel. He he's already jumped up to low class A. He's kicked up his performance a notch. And so I, I just think the fact that those guys have both, you know, and, and you mentioned Thice too. I mean, Thice was probably right there with Nick Senzel is maybe the number two pure hitter in the college ranks this year, and he's hitting two. So it doesn't always work out that way. Um, but it's very interesting to see that, that these guys are all living up to their reputations right off the bat. All right, moving on to the pitchers. Um, Jonathan, you have Ian Anderson. He was the first pitcher taken. A bit of a surprise, number three to the Braves. Uh, Justin Dunn went to the Mets, off to a great start. Eric Lauer to the Padres, another guy that's that's cruising early on. Those are first-rounders. Then you have a couple of second-rounders, and Alec Hansen, who went to the White Sox, and A.J. Puckett to the Royals, not to be confused, of course, with A.J. Puck. Um, but of that group, um, you know, who is there a surprise in there, a guy that maybe you're even surprised by what a good start he's off to? Well, I think the obvious one is, is Hanson, so thank you for teeing that one up there for me. Um, and we talked about him in, in the video clip that we did uh, just because he has been 
uh, ridiculous. Um, 53 strikeouts and 32 and two-thirds combined innings. Just 12 hits allowed. That's a 113 batting average against. Now, he it's lower levels, so you don't want to get too excited. Uh, but this is a guy whose draft stock completely was torpedoed by his inability to throw strikes in college during his junior season. He's walked 10, um, and most of his starts, he's only walked one or none. So it's a very encouraging start. You have to see what happens from there. But for a guy whose confidence must have been really shaken when he was in college, for him to turn the page and, and start out this way, uh, has got to do wonders. And that's, you know, to me, the pro debut. Like, teams aren't looking for players to put up amazing numbers in that first summer. Uh, but if it can build confidence, especially for a guy who struggled uh, when he was in college, uh, that's a, a very good step in the right direction for Hanson. And Jim, when Hanson's stock was dropping throughout the spring, Ian Anderson was skyrocketing, especially in that final month leading up to the draft to the point that he ends up being the first pitcher taken. Now, the Braves had different reasons for doing that. Obviously, they wanted to maybe save a little money, but they also love this guy, and it's paying off early on. Yeah, and I think they took him primarily because they loved him. I mean, they were whoever they took there, they were going to save a significant amount of money anyway. And you know, he's been you know very very good. You know, twenty two, twenty one and two thirds pro innings, sixteen hits, six walks, twenty strikeouts. He, he's in the Appy League. Uh, you had a nice first start there. Uh, you know, I think they're ple- you know, Joey Wentz is also pitching well. They're uh, their supplemental first-round pick you, that they use some of their savings on to, to sign. He's he's actually pitched even better, but I, I think the Braves have got to be very very pleased. Uh, you know, when you throw in Kyle Muller, their second rounder, those three guys, I um, don't have all their bonuses in front of me, but they they signed for close to I think eight million dollars between them, and all three of those guys off are off to terrific starts. All right, great stuff as always, guys. That's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.